want to thank everybody that did come out yesterday and, and help work and get everything decorated and ready. And, and uh, everybody that brought uh, different things to help decorate with. And, of course, we got half of uh, Doug's house here. Uh, <laughs> anyway, the trees, uh, uh, I walked in downstairs after they brought the trees this week, and it looked like a forest downstairs. Amen. And, uh, but uh, oh, I'll tell you what, it looks good, and we're looking forward to it. Be much in prayer for Vacation Bible School. We want to see the Lord work in hearts and lives. You know, here's the sad part is we're finding kids now, picking up kids occasionally on bus that don't even know who Jesus Christ is. We live in the uh, Bible Belt, and yet today in, in our society, Jesus Christ has been cast aside by, by the world and by all. Even I was raised in a lost home. But my mom and dad had biblical principles that they raised us by and had great respect for Jesus Christ and, and the Lord. My mom and dad got saved actually later in life um, after, I don't know, many of our kids were born. And they got saved, and so we praise the Lord for that. Uh, and, but uh, the fact is, is that we're living day and time when a lot of Christians don't share Jesus Christ. And so that's the reason we're in the, in the position that we're in now is because uh, Christians have not done what we should be doing in living for and lifting up Jesus Christ as we should. All right, take your Bibles and turn with me this morning to John chapter 4. John chapter 4. And if you would, please stand for the reading of God's Word if you're able to. You say, Preacher, why would we do that? Well, it's in reference. Uh, it's, in, it's in reverence of His Word. Uh, we could go back into the Old Testament and show you uh, how they always stood. Many times, and I can take you to some scripture where they stood for hours as they read the Word of God. It's in reverence to His Word. His Word is precious. It's not just, just, not just ink on paper, but it is precious, and we praise the Lord for that. John chapter 4, very familiar portion of scripture here. We'll begin reading verse 4. Of course, Jesus is, is leaving. He's departing. Uh, he departed Judea. He's going into Galilee here, and pick up in verse 4, it says, and he, he must needs go through Samaria. That's what he's telling him. He said he must needs go through Samaria. And then cometh he to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied with his journey, sat thus on the well, and it was about the sixth hour. There cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus saith unto her, Give me to drink. For his disciples were gone away unto the city to buy meat. Then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it thou, being a Jew, askest drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. And Jesus answered and said unto her, If thou knewest the gift of God, and who it is that saith to thee, Give me to drink, thou wouldst have asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. The woman saith unto him, Sir, thou hast nothing to draw with. And the well is deep. From whence then hast thou this living water? Art thou greater than our father Jacob, which gave us the well, and drank thereof himself and his children and his cattle? Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again. But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. The woman saith unto him, Sir, give me this water, that I thirst not, neither come hither to draw. And Jesus saith unto her, Go call thy husband, and come hither. 
The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said unto her, Thou hast well said, I have no husband, for thou hast had five husbands, and he whom thou now hast is not thy husband. In that thou saidest truly, thou, uh, saidest thou truly. The woman saith unto him, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and ye say that Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, Believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. Ye worship ye know not what. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour cometh now and now is when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father seeketh such to worship Him. God is a spirit, and they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and truth. The woman saith unto him, I know that Messiah cometh, which is called Christ. When he is come, he will tell us all things. Jesus saith unto her, I that speak unto thee am he. If you look back in verse 23, it says, But the hour cometh, and now is, when the true worshippers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father seeketh such to worship him. Let me read for you from Luke chapter 19. You can turn if you want. I'm just going to read three verses. Uh, the story of Zacchaeus. Because there's a verse I want to point out. Zacchaeus stood and said unto the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have taken anything from any man, by false accusation I restore him fourfold. And Jesus saith unto him, This day is salvation come to this house, for so much as he also is the son of Abraham. For the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which is lost. Ezekiel chapter 22 and verse 30 says this, And I sought for a man among them that should make up the hedge, stand in the gap before me for the land that I should not destroy it, but I found none. In those verses there, there's something that is common. There's a very common thread, you might say, that runs through each of those verses. And in chapter 4 of John there, notice it says, For the Father seeketh such to worship Him. In Luke chapter 19 and verse 10 it says, For the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which is lost. Over in Ezekiel chapter 22 and verse 30, He says, And I sought for a man among them. I'd like to point out something here. There's a common thread that runs through there, and that is that the Lord is looking, he's seeking for someone in each one of those verses. And so I'd like to title the message this morning, The Lord is Looking for You. Let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning asking that you would meet with us, and Lord, that you would do a great work in every heart and life that's here. Lord, you know the need of the hour in every person's life. I do not. But Lord, I pray that uh, you would take hold of the services Lord, may I get behind the cross. May I hide behind Thee. Lord, may You be exalted. May You be lifted up. May the Spirit of God, may the Holy Spirit deal with each heart. Lord, I pray that You'd empower me. Give me the words. Give me the wisdom that I need to share what You once said. And Father, I pray now if there is someone here that doesn't know Jesus Christ their Savior, I pray that today would be that day of salvation in their lives. And Lord, I pray that You would come and work in hearts and lives of Christians and draw us close to You. For this we ask and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You be seated. That common thread is the, the fact that the Lord is looking. Could I say this morning, that, and let me impress it upon your mind, that I believe with all my heart the Lord's looking for, for you and me. 
He's looking. You say, well, he knows where I am. I understand that. But he's looking to do something great in your life. He's looking to, to do something even this morning. You say, well, I just come to, you know, I'm come to church and I think everything's fine, preacher. I know, but the Lord wants to do something in your life today. He's looking for you. You might say that you're wanted, kind of like a wanted man. He wants, he wants us. He, we're wanted by the Lord. You're sitting here this morning. You may think that nobody wants you. I'll tell you what, the Lord wants you, amen? The Lord wants you. You're a wanted. You know, there's, I don't know, there's a program. I don't know if it even still runs, the uh, America's Most Wanted. And they would go through and they would describe the crimes of people and they would show pictures of people that was wanted by the FBI or the CIA or by the, the United States Marshals and different ones for all kinds of things that they had done, whatever it might be, whether it was money laundering or murder or, or just on goes the long list of things. Back in 1971, um, in fact, it was November the 24th. It was the, it was the eve of, uh, uh, is the night before Thanksgiving. That night, there was a man that uh, boarded a plane in Texas. And he boarded that plane in Texas, and he was going for a, a short flight, uh, and, and he got on board. He was wearing a black suit. He was carrying a briefcase. He sat down on the plane, and uh, he, after the plane was up in the air and flying, he motioned to the uh, stewardess to come over to him. He handed her a note. She thought actually that it was probably his phone number that maybe he was trying to get her to contact him after they landed when they landed in, in uh, Seattle. Well, as it would be, she just folded up, stuck it in a little purse deal that she had and he motioned back to her and said, uh, I want you to read that. She opened up the note. She looked at it and it said, I am carrying a bomb. Come sit beside me. She got in the seat beside him, and he began to talk to her. He began to tell her. He said, I'm going to tell you what I want you to do. He said, I've got a bomb here. He's very nice to her. He's very polite. And uh, he said, I've got a bomb. She said, can I see it? He took the briefcase, opened it up, and there was eight uh, reddish-colored sticks laying in there with wires coming out of them hooked to a battery with a switch. And he said, uh, here's what I want you to do. He said, I want you to go up front. He said, uh, uh, I want, this is what I want you to tell the pilot. I want you to tell the pilot to radio them in Seattle and tell them that you'll be, be landing there and that, we, that they are to bring $200,000 in cash, unmarked bills, small bills, and four parachutes. He said, if they do what I tell them to do, he said, I'll let everybody get off the plane except for the pilot, and then we're going back up in the air. He said, I want it refueled, he said, while we're there. So they radioed in, and uh, sure enough, uh, you know, they said, this man, he's got the bomb and everything, and so we, we, we want you to gather the money and so forth. So they did. They put together $200,000. That'd be about $1.5 million today is what that would be uh, equivalent to. And so they gathered the money, and, and they got the four parachutes, and he told them. He, he went into great details and told them. He said, listen, he said, I don't want a... Not far from there, I think it was about 10 miles from there, was a military base. He said, I do not want a military parachute. He said, I want a civilian parachute. He said, I want four of them. He said, I want two regulars and two reserves. And so they, he said, I want the money put in a, in a, in a, in a, a, a rack sack that he could carry with him. And so they did that. They landed the plane. They got the money, the one of the head men of the airport brought the money up. Of course, they had the police all around there. They had circled for quite a while. Uh, one of the trucks vapor locked when they was trying to refuel the plane, and they finally got another 
uh, a truck out there, and after they got it all refueled and ready to go, he released everybody on the plane, let them dis, uh, disembark off the plane. And as, as they began to get off the plane and everything, he, he began to tell the pilot, okay, he kept the pilot, he kept one of the stewardess, he kept the flight engineer, and he kept the co-pilot. He said, here's what we're going to do. And he began to tell them how they was going to fly. He said, we're going to go up. He said, you're going to go at, at 10,000 feet. He said, you're going to, he said, when we take off, he said, I want the, uh, the, the cargo door left open in the back with the steps left open in the back. And they began to tell him, said, well, you know, we can't really do that. And he said, also, I want all the landing gear left down. When we get in the air, he said, leave the landing gear down. And, fly, and they, they began to tell him, and, they, and he told him, he said, we're going, he said, I want you to head such and such direction. He told him what degrees. He said, we're going towards Mexico. And so they told him what was going to take place, and they said, well, you can't take off. It's unsafe. He said, okay. He said, it's not unsafe to, to take off with that, with that cargo door with the steps on it down in the back. He said, but we'll close it. He said, I'll open it once we get in there. So they took off. They left the landing gear down. They went cruising at, at 10,000 feet. They could not get up their speed real fast because of having the landing gear down and the, the opening of the, uh, the door. He had their speed down to where, to where they was real slow. They couldn't fly fast. And uh, then he gave them directions which way to turn. They turned away. They put two jets up following them. They had another uh, uh, military plane that was falling from a distance that was coming back off of tactical maneuvers. They was flying into a storm. This man, if, if I give you his name that they, give, that they dubbed him with, you would probably remember his name. His, he was called D.B. Cooper. D.B. Cooper. D.B. Cooper, and that was in 1971. He sent everybody into the cockpit when he got to a certain location. And he hit, put strapped on the parachute. He left two parachutes there. He cut the cords out of one of them he used for something. And he went out and dove out of that plane, never to be seen again, never to be found again. And they finally, after several years, found about uh, uh, two stacks of the $20 bills uh, in some around a river, but uh, never to be seen again. They have looked for that man for 45 years when they finally called off the investigation in 2016. They've never found the man. They, many think that he died, but they could never find the parachutes. They could never find anything. They searched and searched over the years. They found all kinds of clues. They were looking for him. He was a wanted man. Today, they still want information if people come up with the bills. they got the serial numbers on the bills. People are still looking. They're still trying to find the money. They're still trying to find the man. He's a wanted man. He's a wanted man. His name is not D.B. Cooper. That's an alias that he used when he got on the plane. Can I tell you something this morning? Jesus Christ knows your name. Jesus Christ is not fooled by an alias. Jesus Christ knows where you're at. Jesus Christ knows what you need. Jesus Christ is looking for you. Why? Because you're wanted. He wants you. In these three verses that I pointed out, they have the similarities in every, in every situation where the Lord is looking for someone. He's looking for someone. Yes, He knows where you're at. But He has a different way. Look with me there. He has a purpose in looking for you and me here. Look in verse 4 of John chapter 4. Verse 4 of John chapter 4. And said, and he must needs go through Samaria. You know, the Lord had a reason for going to Samaria. 
He must needs go. He had a reason. He had a purpose behind going that way. You have to understand that the Jews, and, and the lady, she even mentioned this, the Jews had nothing to do with the Samaritans. The Samaritans were, what, and, and, I, and I'm not using this wrongly here, don't get upset, were considered a half-breed. They were half-Jewish and half-Greek or whatever other nationality. And so the Jews... Uh, had nothing to do with them. They, they wouldn't, even though they were part Jew, they would not have anything to do with them. They were considered the, the, the scourge of the earth. They were, they were looked down upon. They, they called them dogs. They called them dogs. Uh, they were, I mean, they looked down upon them. And uh, so we find Jesus here, instead of taking the route, they actually, the, the short route was to go from where he was going, was to go by Samaria. But the Jews didn't go that way. They would take a long route around so that they would not come across any of the Samaritans. That's how, how much they disliked the Samaritans. That's how much they didn't want to have anything to do with the Samaritans. But now here's Jesus. He said, I must needs go through Samaria. I must needs go through. He had a purpose. He was looking for someone. And he knew who was going to be there. And he knew all about her. And we find that Jesus, he, he had this purpose of finding this lady. You see, the Lord is always looking for you and me, and, and He has a purpose in mind, and He has a desire in mind when He's looking for you and me. It's not just out of chance that the Lord looks for you and does something in your life. It's not just by happenstance that, that the Lord begins to move in your life. It's not by happenstance that, that you get under conviction. It's not by happenstance that, that the Lord moves things in your life to bring you to where he, he wants you to be. It's by His purpose. It's by His plan. It's by His design. That he does it. Jesus worked out the logistics, you might say, to get to, to where this Samaritan woman was. Look at verse 6 and 7. It says, Now Jacob's well was there, and Jesus was therefore being wearied with his journey. He was man, but he was God. Had the physical body. He was tired. He knew what it is to get tired. He knew what, what you and I feel, and, and he felt the same things. He sat thus on the well, and it was about the sixth hour. This would be in the heat of the day, okay? This would not be at, your, uh, 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 at an earlier time or a later time. This was uh, in the heat of the day. There cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. Well, here's the clue for you on that about the Samaritan woman, about her life. She was coming at the sixth hour to draw water instead of at the early hour or the late hour to draw the water. She was coming in the heat of the day when nobody else would be at the well. Why? Well, she'd had five husbands, and, the one, and she was living with a man now. No doubt in town, people had flapped their jaws about her and talked about her and was cruel to, to her life. I mean, that's just, that's, and she knew that. People probably, as she would walk down the street, would, would go to the other side of the street or would, would whisper and talk about her or, or say things about her. So why would she want to go to the well where they would stand there and, and gaze at her and, and look at her and, and make her feel uncomfortable? So she would go in, at this particular time. She would go there so that she wouldn't have to be around anybody else. You see, Jesus knows where to look. When he's looking to meet up with you, he'll also map out how to meet you and get, you, get to you. You see, timing is a part of his work in order to find where, you, where, he, where he wants you to meet him. It was the Lord's plan to meet her at that well. He said, oh, he must have been by there before and seen her come there. No, 
No. You see, he's God. He knows. And the Lord is watching your life and my life, and he knows. And he's working out the logistics. He's working out the timing. He's working out the meeting place for you and I. So he knew when the woman would be at the well. He knew she would be there when others were not there. And so they, they meet up at this place. And in your life and my life, there's, meeting, there's a meeting time in your life and my life with the Lord. And then many times it's, it happens all the time. But there are those special times when the Lord is looking for you and wanting to do things in your life, just as He was with this lady. So Jesus came looking for the woman at the well that, that one day. And here's the reason behind it. He said, so that she gets saved. Let me point you to another reason. But it includes that. Look with me down in verse 10 or verse 23. But the hour cometh and now is when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. And also what he says, the Father seeketh such to worship Him. You're sitting here this morning. I'm standing here this morning. Do you want what the Lord wants? He wants us to worship Him. He wants us to worship Him. The Lord seeketh such to worship Him. Yes, salvation, we'll deal with that in a minute, but salvation is part of that. But understand this, the whole reason behind this is not just to keep you out of hell. Huh? You realize that Jesus Christ died on the cross so that you could be saved, yes, but the purpose was not all just to keep you out of hell. You see, if we go all the way back to Genesis, before you get into, right there at Genesis chapter 3, when when, uh, when Eve had, had sinned against the Lord and she had ate of that forbidden tree and, and Adam likewise did so also after she did. And, and before that, that, what took place there? Fellowship with God. Worship with God. You see, the only way God can get you back to there is through the cross. So salvation is the means to the purpose to restore the fellowship, to restore the worship as it once was in the Garden of Eden. You see, so basically, yes, Jesus came to seek and to save law, and we're going to talk about it. Yes, He wants to save your soul. Why? To bring us back to that place of worship. The Lord seeketh such to worship Him. To worship Him. And this morning we're sitting here and we're thinking that it's all just about salvation. No, my friend, it's about the relationship with the Lord. It's about that relationship daily. It's about that relationship of worshiping Him and walking with Him in fellowship and knowing the Lord in a greater way than just uh, a printing on a, on, a, on a page. Many Christians have taken their, their Christianity and really their Christianity is basically writing on a page. My friend, it's not the writing on the page. It's the relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the worship of Him from the heart and not from the mind only. Hey, listen, it's the a, it's a relationship that the Lord wants for you and me. And many times we have, have brought it down to just mere words on a piece of paper. Hey, listen, those words are God's words. Those words, are, as I said before, should be revered. But my friend, it's the Christian life is so much more. And the Lord seeketh them to worship Him. And so we find here that the Lord's looking. Do you know what the Lord's looking across this auditorium this morning? He's seeking those to worship Him in spirit and in truth. The Lord has a desire, His creation, to worship Him. And, and He's seeking those who love Him and, and will be true worshipers that will worship Him in, in spirit and truth, as I said. Man should worship the Lord truly 
because he's worthy of it. We find in, in 1 John chapter 4 and verse 19, it says, We love him because he first loved us. You realize that before, before uh, you got saved, that uh, you really didn't love the Lord. The Lord loved you, though. And he deserves to be worshipped. When you stop and think upon his goodness and unto man and how that he sent his son into the world to die for our sins, that we might have eternal life and how that uh, we, uh, we should glorify him and lift him up, He's worthy to be worshipped. He's worthy to be lifted up. And the psalmist said in Psalms 29 12, David said this. He said, give unto the Lord the glory due unto his name. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. There's a lot of stuff out here today. I'm going to be 100% honest. There's a lot of stuff out here today that, that people call worship that is not worship. I got one amen out of that. I'll say it again. There's a lot out here that people call worship that's not really worship. Amen. I got more. I like it that better. The fact is, is that this world has taken and corrupted even that. That's just like love. This world, a lot of this world doesn't know what true love is. They know what lust is. They know what, I guess, puppy love is. But a lot of the world doesn't know what true love is because they have changed it into something that it's not. And it's, and it's shared in such a, a wicked way in many times. But true worship is that which lifts up the Lord and magnifies Him. The psalmist said in Psalms 95, 6, is, Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our Maker. You see, true worship is a humbling of oneself that we might exalt the Lord and magnify Him and lift Him up. Uh, too, too many times today we want to be on equal footing or equal platform with the Lord. My friend, that's not worship. Worship is when we humble ourselves and when we lift up the Lord. If you go back into the, into the Bible and you begin to look at how they worship the Lord, it's a lot different than what we see today. I'm not talking about lip service or just half-hearted words but true worship from the heart that magnifies the Lord and exalts Him. I'll be honest with you, many times if we'll just, we begin to think about how good God's been to us, we begin to realize that we don't deserve salvation. We begin to realize how good He's been to us even when we have sinned against Him after we got saved. And how that He forgives us of our sin and how that He cleanses us from all unrighteousness. You can't help but want to worship Him. You can't help but want to lift him up. You can't help but want to magnify him and let people know how good he's been to you. Notice that the Lord seeks such to worship him and those that will worship him in this way, and that is in spirit and truth. Christian, he's not seeking duty. There's a lot of people today that remain married because of duty. Let me say it again. There's a lot of people today that remain married because of duty, not because of love. The Lord's not looking necessarily. And you say, well, duty's right. Yes, duty's right. You, I mean, there's a duty, and sometimes duty has to take over when we're not where we should be in the spiritual life. But my friend, the Lord wants it to be more than just duty, not just because I have to, not just because the Lord uh, might thump me on the head, not because of, of all these other things, but because I love Him, because He deserves to be worshipped, because He deserves to be magnified, because He's done so much for me. He's seeking true love. He's seeking true worship. 
not a routine and not just going through the motions, but He's seeking those who will, with their heart, with the heart, will worship Him in spirit and truth. The Bible says when you, when concerning salvation, for with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth salvation is, uh, with the heart, let me start over. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. It's with the heart. You see, you can pray a prayer and not get saved. It's got to be the heart. It's got to be that repentance where you, in your heart, you want to change the direction that you're going. That you want Jesus Christ as your Savior. And it's with the heart, not just, okay, I'll pray a prayer so that I'm going to heaven. No, my friend, that doesn't work that way. It's with the heart. It's with the heart. And so it is with, when we worship Him, it's with the heart that we're to worship Him and to magnify Him. He's seeking such to worship Him in spirit and in truth. And then in Luke 19, we read there about, the, about Zacchaeus here. And the Lord is seeking the lost. Zacchaeus, we're very familiar with the story of Zacchaeus, how that he wanted to, he had heard about this, this one called Jesus, and he began to run down the this road, and he began to, he, climbed, he couldn't get out close to the road because he was a little man. He couldn't see over him. He couldn't see under him. And, and he was a, a dirty tax collector, and nobody wanted to move over and let him stand beside him. And so uh, he was kind of on the out, so he climbed up in a sycamore tree so that he could see Jesus Christ as he come walking down that, uh, that road. And, and Jesus looked up and seen him and he knew he was there by the way just like the woman at the well. Jesus knew that day that Zacchaeus would be up in that sycamore tree. Hey listen there was people alongside the road. There was people hollering and screaming and saying things. It would have been very easy for you to have not seen the one that was up in the sycamore tree. But now here's uh, uh, Zacchaeus. He's up in the sycamore tree. Zacchaeus is up in that tree and he begins to, to, to watch Jesus. And Jesus stops and he, he sees him up in that tree and he, he calls him and tells him to come down because he's going to his house. He's going to eat with him that day. I imagine the look on everybody's face began to look kind of strange when they, he was going to go eat with that little tax collector. But we find that in verse 10 says, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Zacchaeus got saved that day. Why? Because Jesus Christ came seeking to save the lost. I don't know about you, but in 1975, when the Lord was seeking me. I was under conviction. I knew I was lost. I knew I was on my way to the devil's hell. I was going to church. I was in church, been in church for several years. Had made a profession of faith, you might say. Went forward in a service, but didn't get saved. And it wasn't until 1975 as a, as a sophomore in high school that, that I received Jesus Christ as my Savior. Asked Him to come in my heart and life. But, but up, leading up to that, He was dealing with my heart, pointing out that I was lost and that if I didn't get saved, that I would die and go to a devil's hell. And Jesus Christ, you might say, as the Bible says, He, stand, he was standing at the door and He was knocking. At my heart's door, there was conviction in my heart and life. And I knew that I needed to get saved. But it was up to me to open the door. He was seeking. He was knocking. He was wanting me to receive Him as Savior. But on that Wednesday night, middle of May, 1975, stepped out, walked that aisle, received Jesus Christ, my Savior. He was seeking me. You're sitting here this morning. You could tell us about the him seeking you in your life and how that He brought you to that place and got you to a place where you would receive Him as your Savior. How He dealt with your life and how He showed you how that you needed Him as, as your Lord and Savior. So He seeks, comes to seek and to save that which is lost. He was seeking the lost. He came looking for Zacchaeus who, 
who, who, who knew that he needed a Savior, who knew that he was wicked. He knew that. You know, the, we live in a day and time that uh, there's a lot of people who, who claim to be good and they don't really feel like they need a Savior. They do good works. They do this. They do that. And they don't feel like they need Jesus Christ. Just live a good life. Zacchaeus wasn't that way. And Jesus came seeking him. You realize this morning that you're being sought, you're wanted by the Lord. If you're not saved, if you don't know Jesus Christ, your Savior, you're being sought by Him. You're, he's seeking you. He's wanting you. He wants you to come to Him. You see, before we talked about worship, about seeking Him, uh, He's seeking us to worship Him. But before you can worship Him in spirit and truth, you must be born again. Jesus is seeking the lost this morning. You may be religious, but lost. I was. I was religious for several years, and, and, but I was lost. And Jesus came seeking me to save my soul. We find in Mark chapter 2 an incident where Jesus came in and he sat down at meat in a house with the publicans and sinners. It says it's, he said also with uh, many publicans and sinners all said also with Jesus and his disciples for there were many and they followed him. And when the scribes and Pharisees, that was the religious people, saw him eat with publicans and sinners, they said unto his disciples, How is it that he eateth and drinketh with publicans and sinners? When Jesus heard it, he saith unto him, They that are whole need no physician, but they that are sick. I came not to call the righteous or to seek the righteous, but, to, but sinners to repentance. He come seeking those who are lost. He comes seeking the Zacchaeuses of the world. He comes seeking those who, who realize, I need a Savior, who look in their hearts and say, I, I'm, I can't make it on my own. I need a Savior. I need Jesus Christ. He comes to, and when you realize that, hey, listen, I'm wicked and I'm undone. I've sinned against a holy God. That's where Zacchaeus was. And he came seeking him. Seeking him to save his soul. You may be sitting here this morning and you may even be a member of this church. But if you've never received Jesus Christ as your Savior, He's seeking you. He want, you're a wanted person. He wants to save you this morning. He's seeking you. Can you imagine that? <coughs> the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the Creator of the world and the whole universe, Everything that was ever created, he spoke it into existence, and he's seeking you, and he's knocking at your heart's door. Why? Because he wants you. He wants you. But it's up to you to open the door. He's seeking you. We find that Jesus is also seeking lost sheep. In Luke chapter 15 and begin in verse 3 it says, and he spake this parable unto them saying, what man of you having a hundred sheep if he lose one of them doth he not leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness and go after that which is lost until he find it. And when he hath found it he layeth it on his shoulders rejoicing and when he cometh home, he calleth together his friends his and neighbors and saying unto them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I say unto you that likewise joy in 
shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth more than over ninety and nine just persons which need no repentance. Many times people read this and they think that, that Jesus is looking, that he's talking about lost people. No, he's talking about Christians. He says he's looking for his sheep. When you receive Jesus Christ as your Savior, you become one of his sheep. He's the great shepherd. We are the sheep. We can go through illustration after illustration that he uses that terminology throughout the scripture. And what he's looking for here is a Christian who's went away from him. He's looking, he's seeking. The Lord's not satisfied with even one of his sheep, the, the saved, being lost out into the world, away from him. I'm not talking about losing your salvation. I'm talking about being away from God. You're saved, you're on your way to heaven. You know Jesus Christ, your Savior, and you're out away from God. You're living in sin. You're not walking with God. You're not talking with God. You're not fellowship with God. Oh, you may be sitting in a church pew, but you're out in the world. You're away from him. You're not living for him. You know what he's doing? He's seeking you. He leaves the 90 and 9 just to come looking for you. Oh, what a Savior. What a, what a wonderful God we have. That he would care about that one sheep, that one lamb. Leave the 90 and 9 knowing that they're okay, they'll be all right. And he goes looking for you to bring you back to him. He's seeking you, seeking to bring you home, seeking to bring you back into fellowship, seeking to bring you back where you can worship Him, seeking to bring you to a place where you, you love Him and walk with Him again. He comes looking for you, seeking to bring you home, bring you back into that fellowship. Hey, listen, He'll seek you in many different ways. How's that, preacher? Well, conviction of the Holy Spirit. Dealing with your heart about your sin, showing you that it's wrong, bringing conviction well, I'll tell you what, one of the most miserable places for a Christian to be is away from God. Some of the meanest people I've ever run across is backslidden Christians. I'm serious. Because they don't fit in in the world, and they don't fit in with God's people, and they're just ornery and mean. They're just like an old rattlesnake ready to strike anything that comes by. Because they're miserable. You know why they're miserable? Because the Holy Spirit of God is working in their lives and tearing things up. Nothing can satisfy them. They tried the world. The world couldn't satisfy them. They tried different relationships. It couldn't satisfy them. They tried this. It couldn't satisfy them. They tried that. It couldn't satisfy them. And the only thing that will satisfy them is to get back in fellowship with the Lord and live for Him. The Holy Spirit of God is working in their lives. Why? Because the Lord's seeking them. They're wanted. It may be through correction of different way, in different ways. The love that He shows, loving you back into the fold. He's seeking you by remembrance of the goodness and, the, and how, how it was to have fellowship with Him. Well, I'll tell you what, when, when it seems like that fellowship begins to break a little bit, boy, there's, there's that rem remembrance in mind. Boy, it's a lot sweeter when you're walking with God. It's a lot sweeter when that fellowship is what it ought to be. It's a lot sweeter when, when that walking with the Lord daily and in His Word and with Him in prayer. The remembrance of it. Desire to restore peace into your life. Well, people are looking for peace. They're popping pills for peace. They're, they're drinking this for peace. They're drinking that for peace. They're going here for peace. They're going there for peace. And they can't get peace in their hearts and lives. Can I tell you where you get it? With the Lord. He's the only one that can give us the peace that we need. Difficulties that 
Many times they'll cause us to turn to the Lord. I've watched people's lives over the years. I'm a person watcher. Many times I see people who, and I know people say, well, I wonder if they're really saved. Well, you know, that's not my call. But I've watched those who say they're saved and you can't shake them on whether they're saved or not. They claim to be saved. And I've watched them go through difficulty after difficulty after difficulty after difficulty after difficulty after difficulty difficulty, and they still won't turn to God. And God just keeps putting the pressure on you say, why, Lord? Why, why would you do that to me, Lord? And he'll look at you and he'll say, because I love you. And I'm seeking you to come back to me. You're wanted. I want you. This world doesn't want you. The only reason this world wants you is so they can discard you and throw you in the trash heap and destroy your life and your testimony. He comes seeking you to come back to him. 1 John 1, 9. He says, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You know why He gave us that provision? Because He's seeking us to come home. Wanting us to come back. Just like the prodigal son. The prodigal son had to go out and he had to to live in the hog pen. And an old Jewish boy that that shouldn't have had anything to do with hogs. And he's down there living in the hog pen and feeding the hogs. And and, and got so hungry he would even eat the the husk that the the hogs was eating. Eating the same thing the hogs down in the hog pen. And finally he came to himself, the Bible says. He came to himself. He went home. He said, even if my father treats me as just as a hired servant, I'll be around the Father. But that's not the way he treated him. He put a ring on his finger, shoes on his feet, put a robe on him, killed the fatted calf, and welcomed him home. He's seeking you. He's seeking me to live for him. Then we find that the Lord seeketh those to stand in the gap. Ezekiel 22 and verse 30 says that, Lord says, And I sought for a man among them that should make up the hedge and stand in the gap before me, for the la- before me for the land, that I should not destroy it. And the latter part of that verse is so sad. It says, but I found none. You know what? The Lord's looking for those who are going to stand in the gap today. He's seeking those in our day and time. Born again Christians who will stand in the gap and make up the hedge of, of protection today. Who will stand for the Lord. Who's going to live for the Lord. Who's going, to, who's going to be faithful to God. Who's going to tell others about Jesus Christ. We're living in these last days where so very few want to stand for the Lord. They... They want to stand for everything else. But we're needing Christians to stand for the Lord Jesus Christ, to stand up and live for Him. I'm not talking about uh, uh, being crazy. I'm talking about uh, living for the Lord Jesus Christ and not being ashamed of the gospel, not being ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. Raising, We need to raise the next generation of Christians to get the gospel out, to let people know about Jesus Christ. You know, I spoke about the little kids now. A lot of them not knowing about Jesus Christ. Hey, listen, as a Christian, we got to stand in the gap. They've got to have the opportunity. They've got to to know that, that Jesus Christ loves them, that he wants to save their soul. Too many churches, uh, the doors are locked on Sunday night and on Wednesday night. Too many churches are closing each year. Too many Christians are walking away. Too many Christians are sitting at home. We need some Christians, those who know Christ their Savior, to stand in the gap and he's seeking for those to do so. Our nation is in need of Christians standing in the gap. I, I, you know, uh, the greatest answer to America is not who we put in the White House, but my friend, who we serve in the church house. Amen. Live for the Lord Jesus Christ. 
I think if you'll do what's right in the church house, you'll do what's right out there too. In 2 Thessalonians 2, 3 says, Let no man de deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come except there come a falling away first. And we're seeing the falling away in our day and time as Christians are turning away from the church, turning away from the things of God, living like the world, acting like the world, talking like the world, doing what the world does. My friend, what we're needing is those who stand in the gap. We need Christians to step up and stand up for the Lord Jesus Christ, to be like Paul who said, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it's the power of God unto salvation, to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. You see, the Lord seeking those who's going to stand in the gap to be the witness for Christ, to shine the light of the gospel to a dark world, to train up the next generation to love the Lord and to live for Him, to take and stand in the gap and worship the Lord as we should, to preach the Word of God to the world, to raise godly families, to run those buses and reach those kids, to love the unlovable, and on goes the list if we would stand in the gap. But too many Christians are doing this. I'll let somebody else. And we're going to sit it out. Well, you know, preacher, it's the last days. Nobody wants to hear about it. Lord's coming back. I'm just going to sit this one out and wait for the Lord to return. In the meanwhile, your kids, your grandkids, your great-grandkids are going to die without Jesus Christ while you sit it out. Little neighbor kids run your neighborhood while you're sitting it out. They're going to die and go to hell. While we argue about the politics, and I and I, you know, I'm for having it right, and I'm conservative, and I don't care what you say. But I'm going to tell you what. Many times we sit here in the church and we want the politics to do what we're supposed to be doing. The answer is not politics. The answer is Jesus Christ. He's seeking those who will stand in the gap. You three guys come here. Come up across here. walk over there. In our homes and in our lives if we leave a gap Satan gets in. In our churches today you know what's happening? The gap's getting bigger. The more of the world the more of the destruction of Satan is destroying our homes, destroying our churches, destroying our nation. What we got to do? What we got to do? Brian, come here. Will, come here. Dustin, come here. We got to start filling the gap. 
we start filling the gap, I'll tell you what's going to happen. They're going to start coming back. Because they're young people. They need to see these men, these ladies. I could have had these ladies because you're just as much of the, the one. It says, sought for a man, but you know what? He's talking about all of us as Christians, men and ladies, to fill that gap. Say, oh, preacher, it's not, it's not that big of a gap. It's a gap. We need every gap filled. And he's seeking. He said, I sought for a man among them to stand in the gap, to make up the hedge. But he said, I found none. So, well, preacher, no, other churches aren't, aren't really getting that serious about it. I'm not talking about other churches. I'm talking about Calvary Baptist. I have no control other, over any of that. I have control over me. You got control over you. 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 But I'm going to tell you something. When you start seeing... The, this bunch standing in the gap, it gives you courage too, too. Thank you, fellas. Let's pray. Father, we love you and we thank you for your love and your mercy and goodness to us. I pray now, Lord, that you'd help us to see that you're seeking, seeking for those to worship you in spirit and truth, seeking to save the lost, seeking to bring back those who have fallen away and not living for you. Seeking, Lord, for us to stand in the gap for you to live for you, to serve you. Lord, have your one way in this invitation. Lord, maybe folks just need to come say, I, 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 I need to stand in the gap. I need to do what the Lord wants me to do. There may be somebody here that's their life, they're not living for the Lord. They may be in church, but they're not really living for the Lord. Lord, I pray that they'd come and Realize that you're seeking to draw them back into that fellowship. There may be some here, Lord, that don't know Christ their Savior. Lord, I'll be standing down front. I pray they'll come. Let's take a Bible. Show them how to be saved. You're seeking them this morning to save them. And definitely, Lord, you're seeking for us to worship you. Have your own way. May we be obedient to the Holy Spirit of God. For this I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with me with your heads bowed?